Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name is Winter, I'm a comedian, and this is my show. Those that are new to the show, welcome. Those that are old to the show, welcome back, guys. This month we're supposed to have Charmian Hughes, but we've shuffled it around a little bit and she will be appearing at another date. And this month we have the fantastic Meryl O'Rourke. She has supported Frankie Boyle on tour. She's written for him for the last 12 years. She has written for TV. She had a five-star review from the British Comedy Guide for her stand-up. She also runs courses. She's an excellent stand-up teacher so if you ever wanted to do stand-up or you want to improve a stand-up get on her course quickly because they sell out within minutes and she is also gigging around the country at the moment she's got a gig in Leeds Manchester Worcester and she's also filming her first stand-up special Vanilla for Next Up and that is in September but go and see her live and go check her Twitter out for the dates the places where you can get tickets it's at Meryl O'Rourke it's at M-E-R-Y-L-O-R-O-U-R-K-E at Merrill O'Rourke for the dates, the links, all that stuff. If you want to support the podcast, you can. Just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and donate as little or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And if you can't donate, that's okay. Just tell your friends about your favorite episode or you can go to Facebook, like the page, go to join the Facebook group because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. Now, I'm going to make this podcast intro short because I am feeling a little bit under the weather at the moment. I've got a virus. don't know what it is. I haven't tested for anything yet. But coincidentally, when I recorded this podcast with Meryl, she just tested positive for COVID. So, I don't know, maybe the circle is complete. This is an absolutely excellent interview with a very funny comedian and excellent joke writer. So I hope you enjoy it. The wonderful Meryl O'Rourke. Meryl Rourke, thank you so much for coming on the Comedy Defect and spending an hour or so of your time and I, in your condition you're in, uh, which is COVID infected. COVID positive, cause, baby. Cause COVID positive. <laughs> I like that. That's a nice way to look at it. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's weird that because I don't feel that ill at the moment and I am very aware, by the way, that you cannot feel ill one day and then feel terrible the next day, mm. that I've been surprisingly cheerful on the phone and stuff because at the moment it just feels... Well, special isn't is an, a disrespectful thing to say to people who will die. It, it it just yeah, it's different. Mm. After ten months of lockdown and wondering when it's going to happen and stuff, it kind of feels a bit eventful. So yeah, and I'm getting what one really nice thing is that test and trace do phones. So I've had two phone calls oh. from the government to check how I am oh. and everything, which which is nice to know. But I've been overly cheerful on the phone to them <laughs> as well. But I think that's just because I've been so pleasantly surprised. Mm that they are paying attention and they are asking me, you know, do you want to take place in the, do you want to take part in a study? Are you sure when you're going to be out of quarantine, all this kind of stuff? Yeah. So yes, I am oddly cheerful. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully I'm not damning myself with that. No, I mean, I, I will check in with you to make sure this, you're, you're, you survive the rest. <laughs> I'll give you another phone call in a week or so to just check if things are on the way up. Well, I've been thinking about like who would know, because one thing is I'm on Twitter all the time, but mm. the reason I'm on Twitter all the time is that none of my relatives are. That's actually the main reason <laughs> yeah. I'm on there. So if actually, if I die or if something dreadful happens to me, there's no telling that anybody who follows me on Twitter will ever know. I guess you'll start posting. You're very active on social media. I guess. But my, my husband has also said 
that he definitely won't tell anybody on Twitter if I die, like ever. He's always said that. Okay. Uh, why <laughs> why is imagine, that? Just imagine when he kind of resents it, really. They're my second family. Yeah. All right. Okay, fine. They just um, just walk away. Like you went out for like uh, like some milk one day and just walked, <laughs> left left them there. Kind of go, she just was there one day and just what would do something wrong? So so you kind of like instilling sort of uh, poor self-esteem in... Uh, is, there, is it possible to instill any more, less self-esteem in people who are actually on Twitter? <laughs> they'll all think I'm ghosting them yeah that's I right should, I should also explain since we've explained that I've got COVID the other weird noise I'm making is that um, we ordered takeout and it didn't arrive till literally just before <laughs> I started speaking to you Winter so I'm I'm both breathless and eating that's fine that's so I'm sorry fine. it's going to be slightly ASMR podcast perfect I love it of me wheezing and eating it'll be top, something totally different it'll add a bit of tension and uh, <laughs> suspense to the entire thing you know look she's not sure if she can actually breathe for like you know <laughs> from one minute to the next and now she's eating on top of it god this you, we can't stop this woman uh, so um, <laughs> so uh, you know, that's the name of the new show Unstoppable I know this maybe seems a bit silly to say this but I'm going to say it anyway with yeah. you, you have COVID right so does it feel mm-hmm. that like the last maybe year or so and a bit has all seemed a little bit worth it you kind of gone well look you know i finally have it now and now there's no nowhere further this, for this to go i'm like okay look that's it i've had it i i'm on the on the up it sounds that you're you know you're surviving it you're it's okay it's not affecting you too mm-hmm. badly so it's like okay fine well that's it now i can move out along uh, all, all my life to be honest no not really oh. because um well first of all I mean, I need to double check with my friends who've had COVID mm. how you behave when you believe you've got immunity because also they now think that we only have immunity for 90 days. Right. But I've got friends who've had it and are still wearing masks and distancing. So I don't know if I can start going around hugging people. Right. But also one of the things we found out, so I got a test when I lost my sense of taste, which was on Sunday. Yeah. And this study that we've been put into basically said to me, you know, oh, well, losing your sense of taste is actually one of the last symptoms. You're probably better now. Feeling like you've got a cold Mm. is the beginning of it, which I haven't had. But my husband has felt like he's had a cold since last Monday. Right. And but with none of the COVID symptoms. So actually, it's really annoying that all this time he should have got a test way back Monday, Tuesday. I went to Asda last week because my husband just had a bit of sniffles and right. we were told to carry on shopping through that. Yeah. When we had bronchitis last year and we were told to carry on shopping because it definitely wasn't COVID. So oh. actually, no, it, it doesn't feel okay. like, oh, at last we've got it. I feel far more worried about my friends now. I feel far right. more worried about how many people are out there still spreading it around. Yeah. Now that I know how easy it is to go to Asda when you have COVID because yeah. I horrifically did that. I'm very into distancing. I'm mm. very into my masks. Yeah. There was a woman when I was wait, uh, trying to get some potatoes who leaned right over me and in my face said, excuse me, with yeah. her mask pulled down. And oh. there is part of me that thinks, hey, bitch, I had COVID. Um, <laughs> I am not feeling that way about anybody else in the shop. I'm feeling absolutely horrified with yeah. myself. I mean, I keep, every time they phone me, I say, have you told Asda? Have you told Asda yet? <laughs> Up to the, the leading of like getting the COVID then, how have you managed to get through this the last couple of years or so? Well, I keep saying I've been very lucky and part of it is luck, but also I keep saying to my husband that we should acknowledge how much work we've done to get where we are. So I did a lot of work trying to get TV writing work in 2019. So luckily when this hit, I did have a few contacts who were wanting to give me that TV writing work. Um, 
that hasn't made me a huge amount of money, but it's kept me kept me thinking forwards, if if not even, you know, that there are opportunities, there are people saying, we want to work with you. Brilliant. So, mm. yeah, that's how I've coped. But the loss of the gigs, I feel, for me, is more psychological than financial. I mean, we are, I, I am on, I have lost about 50%, maybe 60% of my earnings. Yeah. I worked out, I've lost 48 hours per week private time, which was too much, really. It's been nice being at home, but at the same time, I don't have any space for my thoughts to wander. So, yes. for instance, being creative, mm. it's very difficult to be creative because I'm not sitting on a motorway staring out of a yeah. window for six hours. Yeah. Yeah. And even things like listening to the radio without mm. any interruptions. It's weird how much I miss being on the motorway. That kind of meditative kick that you get when you're driving to a gig and front and home again, as you're mulling yeah. over a few things that you've had like kicking around your head. That's it. I do miss that too for sure. I mean, now just like just go sit in the car for a couple of hours. Mm-hmm. Isn't it just <laughs> it's, yeah. it sounds so bleak, doesn't it? It sounds like something out of uh, <laughs> the mist, you know? Like it sits and he's just when we're just gonna sit in the car again, you know? He's, he's working up to doing something hideous with it to himself, <laughs> you know? That's what it feels like. Oh, but it also. <laughs> I started to realize relatively early on that I'm used to at least three nights a week walking up in front of a hundred people or so mm. and them all facing me and them all listening to me. Yeah. Now I live with three people who never listen to me and very rarely look at me. So that was about one of the first ones where I went, oh my God, mm. I don't have anybody just even facing me, giving me eye to eye contact. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and Engaging my family actually started, yeah. They started bursting into rounds of applause when I walked in the room, oh, just to make me, that's nice. to remind me oh. <laughs> what my life used to be like. Oh dear! And then, <laughs> and then, and then you realise what, a, what, what, like, what, how damaged a human being you are when you need that support. You know? Oh, that's great, though. Yeah, oh, that's maybe. great. That's really nice, maybe. though. That's nice. Now, mine, mine just continue to 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 uh, ignore me, and they just annoy me even more. <laughs> my family, they're just like, fine. Look, uh, they just they're starting to talk. Like now, I feel like I'm in a conversation. I'm getting heckled because other people start talking at the same time it's like oh my god yes so that that's what i said like on stage if i ask somebody what they do for a living Mm. they'll usually reply to me and if they don't reply to me i'll insult them and move on but here (laughs) if i say to somebody can you go and put that in the dishwasher Mm. they just ignore me and then i'll say it again and i can't be like oh you know I fucked your mum or whatever i have to just keep (laughs) asking them to put the plate plate in the dishwasher yeah yeah, that's it. And that's your nan as well I'm talking about, isn't it really, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know I get the same sort of situation at the moment. I'm like, okay, I've, I've managed to uh, organise every corner of, of the house at like, the last lockdown and just sort of like get everything in order. I've even joined a dull men's Facebook group to... Um, <laughs> have you heard of this one? Have you heard this one on Facebook? Which one? Uh, Chris Deuce put me in, uh, who we I share birthday with, 6th of August. Um, we are, uh, we're just... Uh, everyone wants to send me presents. 6th of August that's my birthday guys okay uh, so um, so like <laughs> so the, we um, he's, he, I, I fixed a bin a bin lid came off my uh, my uh, recycling bin you know the green one okay. and, it, and it flew off and I was like you know what I'm not going to get a new one I'm just going to replace the, uh, the the hinge with a metal thing and, and just fix it and he said and I put the picture up on Facebook because nothing was happening in the summer and he was like um, 
Winter, you need to join this group. And I was like, okay, great. So I joined it and uh, I did. I tidied up the shed and I tidied up garage and I took a pit before and after picture. And some <laughs> and some fucking prick on there said, oh, uh, which one's the before? I was like, fuck <laughs> you. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing that sort of stuff and just kind of doing um, bits in between to just sort of um, kind of stop me, me from uh, just going mad, just trying to organize, you know, so get ready for things, kind of bat- battening down things, you know, keeping it in order, <laughs> do you know, for when things yeah. start to thaw. The first lockdown I oddly loved. It was a novelty of being home and not being on the motorway. Yeah. But also I had managed to, like we'd managed to find the only pastor in Streatham and we were ridiculously proud of ourselves. And yeah. I had a little network of vulnerable friends who I was delivering clandestine pasta to. Yeah. My son and my husband, they've got this thing with the kitchen where they eat to empty the kitchen. <laughs> they they don't understand hoarding. Yeah. Whereas my mother was um, a refugee in World War Two, right. so she was all about the hoarding. Wow. So I have a secret box which has got loads of tins cool. in it. Yeah. And I just loved, I loved, I felt like a proper mum that yeah. I was looking after my family and that we were i actually quite enjoyed homeschool um i know a lot of people don't but i i didn't get to see my kids you know i'd often Mm. be away for four days at a time and they come home from school and they just you say how was school and they don't tell you yeah and i'm really enjoying like especially things like english and history and drama you know i actually get over involved (laughs) i keep if I make any kind of content, but I'm trying to work out what's funny about it, I am the over-involved mum. So at one point, yeah. my daughter's doing The Crucible, yeah. and she's she's on Great. her screen, but I'm sitting there with a book about witchcraft, Mm-mm. a book, Death of a Salesman, <laughs> which is the only Arthur Miller I've got, and yeah. then all this stuff up online, and then her teacher disputed one of my facts, and I was so close to, like, <laughs> clicking... <laughs> camera on excuse me yeah. i think you'll find it was written in 1953 yeah so, that's uh, great yeah very over-involved homeschool love mom. i love it get excited it's like oh look you know this wasn't allowed i didn't get a chance to do this when i was in school this is my chance to make up for that the other way i'm coming in that's it maybe, maybe it is that actually because i really felt abandoned by my school mm. so actually yeah having the guts to say well no actually i have done the research yeah. and this is where it is feels quite good but also some of the things like in history at the moment they're doing uprisings so the history of political uprisings yeah. they started off with the chartists who were the male suffrage suffrage which um i hadn't heard of mm. and the suffragettes and now they're doing the brixton riots right and i lived here during i lived in brixton hill during the brixton riots mm. so it's actually really nice when they do stuff like that and and it feels connected i feel proud of her school yeah. as well that's one of the other reasons i get over involved is Great. i'm like well this is a really good thing that you're studying and where did you go to school meryl i went to secondary school in pimlico right which is actually north of the river but for some reason i don't know what deal our primary head had with them mm. but but he sent pretty much all of us to pimlico and the building it's a really it's, it was a really scummy comprehensive but next door to it, on one side, was the kindergarten that Princess Diana used to work in. All right. And then behind it, on the other side, was Dolphin Square, which overlooks it. Which, when there was the whole paedophile scandal with Dolphin Square, it was it was yeah. quite weird knowing that it overlooked our playgrounds. Oh, yeah, but... But now they say that that was all made up and not true, so I'm not sure how weird to find it now. Yeah, right. But yeah, but it was a really horrible, violent, comprehensive... Oh, okay. Was it capital punishment still in then? No, corporal punishment isn't it being spanked. Sorry, no, capital the, um, punishment, corporal, not killing yeah. them. Yeah, the, corporal. No, yeah. the school, the, the kids were, were really violent. I mean, there was, yeah. uh, just after I left, there was a rape. And whilst I was there, a parent got beaten up. 
Whoa. buying anger kids. It was that bad. It got to the stage where just as I was leaving, a few of us used to, you'd make, you'd make friends with a teacher so you mm. could sit in the teacher's office during break time. Right. It was that violent. Wow. And like I say, I, I felt totally abandoned by my school. Mm. I, I went into school when I was 11. I got a 99% in the 11 plus. I was wow. the highest scoring kid in my borough wow. in Lambeth. And then I left school at 16 with my O-levels. I had five O-levels, most of them grade C apart from English, which I got an A in because I just, you know, I know they're not fails. So I got a fail yeah. in physics. Nobody even attempted to help me live up to my potential. Not right. even vaguely. Yeah. You know, they're talking to my daughter now. My daughter goes to quite a, it's considered a, a bit of a rough comprehensive, yeah. but they're still talking to her about Oxford or Cambridge. Yeah, And right. I, that was never even mentioned to me. And yeah. it must've been a possibility because the girl I sat next to in, in English went to Cambridge, but yeah. nobody in five years ever mentioned to me, do you think if you applied yourself, you could get into Oxford or Cambridge, which yeah. I absolutely could have done intelligence wise. Irish schools are pretty bad as well. I don't think we had uh, any <laughs> version of, um, what's the, what do you have? What is it, Ofsted? I don't think we had that in yeah. Ireland. We don't have that at all. So it was just like people, you know, I, I remember my teachers come in and go, right, lads, get down to work. And then you just walk out again. <laughs> that was it. That was it for like about two, three years of them, my, my leaving started to do. They were like, I had one class geography teacher. And uh, he came in, mm -hmm. right, let's get down to work. And that was it. And then one day, one of the, the, the students said, uh, sir, when he actually did stay to do like half a lesson or something, he said, sir, we didn't do the other uh, geography book. And he's like, what other geography book? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. So yeah, school, I get you. I get you. I, I, I think my school is like one of the, um, the, the school that the teachers went to because they could be rejected from all the other schools. You know what I mean? It was one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a Catholic all boys school, which is awful. Ooh. Oh my God. There was a couple what of good teachers. What part of Ireland are you from? Uh, Skibbereen, County Cork. What's that name? Oh, yes, Cork. Yeah. See, I should know that because my family's Cork. Oh, but yeah. I don't know it well enough. Where uh, I think Graham Linehan's from there as well. In Alan Purchase does a pitch to RTE. He says, where are you from in, uh, in Ireland? He says, I'm from Cork, Alan. He goes, whereabouts in Cork? And he says, Alan, you'd never have heard of it. He says, <laughs> and I says, try me. He goes, Skibbereen. Never heard of it. <laughs> That's it, you know, so. I've heard of Skibbereen. Mm. I must have been past it because we used to go quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, but my family's from... Donnerail, right? Which is tiny. Donnerail, yeah. which I used, I used to have. A, that is all nuns and horses. Yeah, yeah. Donnerail. Pretty much all there is at Donnerail. Yeah. Huge convent and a huge horse stud. Yeah. All right. Um, so when did you come over? Yeah, my family is from in that. Well, it's weird because I always think of my dad as being from Ireland because mm. he had an Irish accent, but he was born in Brixton. But he was so ghettoized. Yeah. So. Well, there's all these kinds of stories as well. Oh. I'm, I'm never sure whether to believe the romantic ones. Yeah. His dad had a job here as a headmaster, so he came over. But also my grandmother had an yeah. older daughter who is said to have been the illegitimate daughter of the MP for Cork, William right. O'Brien. Okay. And apparently they were quite open about it because his wife couldn't have children and mm. she told him, go and spread your seed. Oh. And so uh, <laughs> my, my dad actually spent, he met President de Valera when yeah. he was a little boy a couple yeah. of times because wow. they were mates. And so there is a bit of a feeling that my granddad came over to England because he wanted to get his wife away from away from yeah. the cork politicians and the guys that she'd been hanging out with and her yeah. ex-boyfriend. Oh, right. Stuff. Okay. Yeah, so like, uh, so like right, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll make this work. You're coming with me somewhere else. That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So like, uh, was, your, was your dad a, a big storyteller as well or uh, was he I a, think a, a so. Funny? 
Well, my dad died when I was seven. He was right. very funny. Mm. Um, I don't really remember them very clearly, but the main thing that everybody ever remembered about him was that he was funny. I do remember he used to tell me very long stories about his mammy having a huge cooking pot and them having a tiny, tiny dog that was smaller than your hand. Yeah. But I can't remember the text of any of the stories. And he used to find coins in my ears and that much oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> but it's weird when... When my mum died when I was in my mid-twenties and I was going oh. through all their stuff and I found an old address book of my dad's and I contacted an address which was Cousin Pat in yeah. Dublin. I just sent a note, not not even knowing if Pat was male or female. Mm. Got back a letter from this woman who had not seen my dad since the early 60s wow. and said, uh, your dad was hilarious. Brilliant. I think I told her that I was a comedian because I think I just told her everything about myself. And she said, I'm not surprised you're a comedian because your dad was hilarious. She said, yeah. even when he was a baby, yeah. he would crawl around uh, barking like a dog and pretending to be a dog. So it's it's interesting that this woman who hadn't seen him for 30 years, her main memory, anybody that ever talks to me about my dad, it's always that he was hilarious. And was your mum... But I have no memory of that. <laughs> was your mum funny as well? My mum wasn't funny in herself, but she was a huge comedy fan. Yeah. Like massive, massive comedy fan if yeah. it was in 24 hours. And I think he was as well. I remember when he got very ill, mm-hmm. um, I had to go and fetch him. He spent all day in bed apart from for Dad's, Dad's Army or the Rockford Files. Yeah. Uh, either of those, I had to go up and wake him and bring him downstairs. But yeah, they were both massive comedy fans. I think that must be one thing they had in common. But I don't really remember him very well. Mm-hmm. With the comedy stuff, did you watch with your um, with your mom? Was it just Dad's Army and the the sitcoms, or did you like watch stand up as well? Everything. Oh so, yeah. Um, I used to go and see a lot of uh, City and Sweep. Which, oh yeah. Um, you know, which is <laughs> yeah. children's comedy. Yeah. I mean, City and Sweep and Morecambe and Wise do not have that much to differentiate them. Yeah. <laughs> um, my mum also she wrote a book about music hall performers when I was six. Wow. So um, I met people like Tommy Trinder and Arthur Askey who were helping her in the publicity for that so yeah all kinds music hall and sitcom but we started going to stand up well the thing is when you're a kid well no actually i know when we started going to stand up mm. we used to go to butlins every year and so we went to butlins every spring which is mainly because when you're a single mum it's really good to have a holiday where people are providing things for your kid to do all yeah. week but also she couldn't go out in the evenings and in Butlins in those days kids were allowed in the pubs they had different licensing laws yeah so she could actually have a holiday where she could go to a pub and so there were often stand-ups there and I saw um Alan Stewart I have a very strong memory of seeing Pauline Daniels oh, because yeah. she was the first female stand-up wow. I ever saw and we used to go to Blackpool as well and see people at the end of the pier. So I saw the Grumbleweeds and Russ Abbott. Les, yeah. Les Dennis and Dustin G. I saw the Les Dennis and Dustin G. Yeah. The night. You're probably too young to I, remember any of these people. I, I know Les Dennis. So, yeah. Right. He was in a double act and Dustin G. had a heart attack. Oh, right. um, and on his second heart attack, he died. But <sighs> we went to see him the night where he'd had his first heart attack and was in hospital. And Les Dennis had to improv an entire show, <laughs> oh an entire double act show just on his own. And I also, one of my very strongest memories that I talk about quite a lot actually was seeing Lenny Henry supporting the Grumbleweeds back in the very early days where he would, well, it's, I don't want to say he did racist material, even though he calls it that because yeah. I'm white and I shouldn't say that about something. But I remember him referencing his colour yeah. and being a girl who was growing up in Brixton. I remember actually saying to my mum, he, he had this joke where he licked his sweat and he said it tasted of chocolate and I literally <laughs> did not get it. And I remember saying to my mum, I don't get it. And my yeah. mum being really uncomfortable yeah. and having to say to me, 
well, he's implying because he's got brown yeah. skin that he tastes of chocolate. And I was going, but he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and looking around, and it's such a strong memory. And I remember it being the first time I had really acknowledged the fact that white people see black people differently. Yeah. So that's why I remember it so strongly. I, fi I figure remembering Pauline Daniels must have been a similar thing of me having been to Butlin so many times that I just went, oh my God, that's a woman. Yeah. Because I remember her name, even though I must have only been about nine, 10 or 11 when I saw her. So I love that you even have in your joke mind, even at the beginning, you're like, that joke makes no sense at all. <laughs> he, he could not taste of chocolate. He's a human being. Where yeah. is this coming from? This this is crazy town. I, I do not buy into this bit, this, this reality that you're making up. That's great. Well, it's interesting. I was chatting about Lenny Henry recently online and somebody said, would you say he was a big influence on you? Mm. And I guess, I mean, I don't know if you get this when people ask you who your influences are. Mm. Do you tend to go to Irish com comics? Uh, I do. I mean, I have a few like that the yeah. I find. Yeah. Yeah. For different things. Like so I default to Victoria Wood Marty Kane growing up, mm. Pauline Daniels. I yeah. default to Frankie because I work with him. Yeah. It never crossed my mind that Lenny Henry might be an influence because he is so different from me. Mm. And yet I went through that process, sitting in that audience of looking at an audience and trying to work out why they were laughing mm -hmm. and trying to work out why I didn't think it was funny, but they did. And then growing up, pardon anybody who's seen me on Twitter because I talk about all these experiences quite often because I saw him in... Um, Sleeping Policeman's Ball, yeah. the Amnesty gigs. And it was one of those nights where a lot of white middle-class double acts came on and did almost the same thing as each other. So you'd get like, you know, you'd get French and Saunders would come on and go, how are you? I'm like this. I'm like this as well. And then the cast of Who Dares Wins, who I loved. I was a groupie of theirs, but they would come on and go, how are you? I'm like this. I'm like this as well. And it was just yeah. like loads of white people talking to each other. And then suddenly the whole theatre started pulsating with this beat and Lenny Henry came on and he did this song called Bad Jokes which is loads of end of the pier jokes but sung to a kind of soul to sung to soul music mm. and it was so electrifying and it was so kind of like oh wow yeah. he's doing something different and I guess I can't say it's an influence because I don't exactly set the place alight when I walk on stage mm. but he was certainly somebody who all the way through my childhood, I was going, well, what is he doing now? Yeah. I mean, I used to copy his impressions when he was on Tiswas. I used to I used to go to school the next day on Monday. Yeah. Well, not the next day, day after the next. <laughs> mm. I'd do all of his impressions again to see if I could. So actually, he must have been a huge influence on me. Do you find this when you're a kid as well, that kind of mind of um, that you wanted to be... The, the funny one in, in your group of friends, did you? Or did you like, before you went in, did you have no. like a, a set? You Nothing know, like that. I did sing when I was no. a kid. I'd have a set, like I, I could go, right, this is, these are my stories. Right, okay, what am I talking about here? I'm going to go through this bit. Uh, like I, I nearly rehearsed the com the, the uh, improvised conversation I was going to have with them later on. <laughs> um, well, I guess, I suppose, because I, I'm saying no, but I did do those impressions. Mm. And I think what it was, was that I was always the actress. Yeah, right. So I wanted to be an actress. And so I guess in my mind, I was acting. But the thought of actually making them laugh wasn't part of it. It was the thought of being able to be somebody else right. was more part of it. And then at secondary school, I think I think because I was bullied so much, mm. I was actually desperate to be taken seriously. So the thought of making people laugh would have been awful to me at secondary because I always felt like people were laughing at me all the time. Mm. So, yeah, I was never really the joker 
And that sort of fell on me by default when I was at drama school because they didn't know what to do with me at drama school. Yeah. So I kind of had to be funny or get chucked out of college. Right. So then it was almost kind of forced on me. <laughs> with bullying, I was bullied in school as well. And like, you know, I found yeah. that that was um, it's a common trope perhaps. But like, did you find that when you came to do performance stuff, you had the flip, you had a, a, a false confidence that you would lean on. And then when it came to doing performance stuff, that that was the thing that was really would lay you bare and just be like, OK, well, actually, I can't I can't hide anymore. I'm this is this is me now. Possibly. I didn't ever have any false confidence right. because when I would get bullied, I would just burst into tears okay. and sit at school crying. Right. And I think it's more that I was an outsider. Yes. And I actually think like the trope of the bullied kid becoming the comedian is always being that we try to make our bullies laugh, which mm. I, if I tried to make a bully laugh, she'd have slapped me. Right. Like, I don't know what's like. Maybe yeah. it's different for boys. You do yeah. not laugh your way out of girl bullying. You do no. not get weirder with girl bullying, <laughs> yeah. right? You conform. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So, but I think it is more that you stand aside from everybody mm. and you watch them. And yeah, you're, uh, therefore yeah, yeah. you're able to observe their behavior That's and you're right. able to point out what is ridiculous mm. because you're not within it. Uh, I found that the first thing that the hardest thing for me when I first started doing stand up was that uh, the first few years I didn't want to make anyone laugh. I wanted to make everybody pay. <laughs> That's what I kind of <laughs> I was like. I was like, yeah, well, you know what? You don't understand. This isn't for you. <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> you know, and that is the wrong yeah. attitude. That's the wrong. That's not what people want. You know, um, but that makes a lot of sense mm. now. With um, you know, there's a large. Not large. There's a certain movement of new comedy now, which is you can't handle the truth. Oh, I really? went on, I dropped some truth bombs, and they <laughs> banned me from that club. They banned me for saying I was sexist and violent oh. and racist. But they haven't banned me. It's because yeah. they can't handle the truth. And you go, no, mate, it's because you weren't funny. No, yeah, right. It's because you weren't it. funny. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think when I first started stand up, I just wanted people to fancy me. So certainly, my initial. You know, when you first start and you almost mistake any noise as mm. counting as a laugh. Yeah. So mine would be noises of arousal or shock would count as a laugh to me. And I got a very bad reputation, which nobody really talked to me about. People would take my jokes way too, you know, it's the weird thing. I don't know if men get this, but yeah. when you're a woman, for instance, if, you, if you're a woman and you do a routine about threesomes, people will presume you therefore had threesomes. It's yeah. what my, um, one of the things my solo show is about, why it's called Vanilla, mm. is that I've always had a dirty mind, but it doesn't actually mean I've ever done any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a horrible reputation and it took ages for somebody to actually say to me, well, why do you say these things on stage? Mm. They're just shocking and rude. Mm. And I went, but people laugh. And she went, no, they don't laugh, they gasp. And I was like, oh, hmm. oh yeah. But because nobody goes up to comics and say to them, you're not very good. Like mm. it's such a taboo, mm. but that also means people can't improve. Yeah, that's true. Need feedback. It's difficult sometimes with um with that lack of self awareness, isn't it? Really, like oh, I'm, I'm obviously smashing it, I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm, this 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 attention that I'm I'm gathering from this this performance is um you, you know we all use that attention in it to fill up a different psych side of our psyche, don't we? It's like okay, you're yeah. like you know right, okay, what do I need? Well, that's that's what needs to fill that part up. And once that's topped up, you finally then can see yourself from a different perspective unless someone has actually pulled you aside and said by the way this isn't working <laughs> you know which, which doesn't ha often happen not and at I think all maybe that's one of the reasons that i teach because i teach comedy writing mm. and apparently one of the things i'm quite known for is telling people when they've not been very good mm. 
But I always say, like, well, what are you paying me for? Yeah. Are you going to pay me this amount of money for me every week to go, that was great. That was great. Exactly. That was great. No. So if I say to you, well, I'm very conscious of the shit sandwich. I'm very conscious of saying that was a really lovely piece of work. Yeah. What I kind of didn't understand. I'm very cautious of that. <laughs> but even with people who are fantastic, hmm. like, why are they giving me money if every week I'm just going to say that's fantastic? It's, yeah. I actually think it's my job to find something wrong. If I've got somebody who's one of my students and they're giving me consistently fantastic work every week. Mm. It's my job to actually go through it even more forensically. Totally. And say, well, actually, this bit could be funnier. Mm. Mm. Otherwise, why are they there? That's right. But sometimes that there's that, because uh, I remember when I uh, first started, I went to a, a sort of like an, a, I'd say advanced, like being, gigging a couple of years. I went, went to this this, uh, this class and they went, that was terrible. <laughs> that was, <laughs> and there was no, but the, the weird thing is, I'm, I'm sure that you have, you give it in a constructive and, and um, you know, a, a, a way, the way they can build upon and, and cr you know, critique themselves and, and actually just f work through. But this was like, no, you're shit. And I was like, it sent me in a tailspin <laughs> for years. And I, I was like, I will oh, not I'm quit. Sorry. No, it wasn't you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know, no, but, but I'm like, sorry yeah. hurt. But no, it was like it was. It was. Yeah, I was. Thank you. Thank you. I was hurt. But it was like it was like. I like oh to my think God. it's constructive. Oh yeah, there, no. must, there will be people. Yeah, there are two I can think of. There was one particular guy. Yeah. Who genuinely seems to had come on the course just to be told every week that he was wonderful because right. the first week where I I gave him the smallest bit, he'd, he'd done some sketch which was about a wild animal. Right. And he'd chosen the wrong animal. I can't remember why, but the animal he'd chosen <laughs> didn't have the didn't have the character traits yeah. that he had. So right. I just sort of suggested a different animal. Write me this hugely long email yeah. about how he's done brilliantly and everything oh, he's ever dear. pursued. Yeah. And I just had to say to him, well, maybe comedy is the one thing you don't do. You know, yeah. maybe it's fine. But yeah. he was so angry and he yeah. wanted his money back. Oh, no. And then the the only other one I've had was uh, there was a lady who did podcasts and stuff. And th there is something that I've noticed. I mean, the thing is, I'm not even trying to be funny now. I don't even know if you wanted me to be. There are quite a few newer comics who will do podcasts. And mm. so they'll get very used to just chatting about their week. Mm. And then they get on stage and they yeah. chat about their week. And people are going, where is the punchline? Yeah, it's a bit long. And so the only other person I remember <laughs> who was really like... I do not like you was oh. she she was so confident about her podcast following that every right. time I suggested a punchline to her she was just like no I don't need to I'm oh. not going to make something up just to end this oh <laughs> I was like well I'm teaching you how to write jokes totally if you just want to learn how to chat just yeah. you know I don't even know if there are classes to teach people how to just chat yeah. <laughs> but, but that was what she wanted she just wanted me to say every week you're fantastic wow to be humble there are, this... there, there are services i mean i'm mm. sure there are people on on adult work and only fans mm. who will tell you you're fantastic for less money than you pay me to tell mm. you how to write a joke yeah that's it i mean and you're like uh by the way uh supported frankie boyle on hammersmith apollo um yeah and write from yeah. consistently uh still working for him so it's like look you know what yeah. the hell what where, like what what do you need what do you need to prove that i'm good at this you know what i mean rather than no i don't you do have a podcast <laughs> <laughs> how many well, podcasts have you done well i've done a few <laughs> you know it's like come on do you know what though teaching and doing are two very different things mm. and I am often very conscious of the fact that I'm not the most successful comedian in the whole world and therefore what right do I have to teach anybody mm. but actually being able to look at somebody and going oh hang on a minute this joke isn't satisfying because you've mm. forgotten to do this with it yeah. is a very very different skill and actually I don't know because I Frankie's never 
I don't know if Frankie has ever taught anybody. Mm. I know he, he likes to encourage people to write, so he definitely helps people learn how to write. But yeah. being able to work out why a joke works and doesn't work, it's actually far more to do with my background. It's mm. actually far more to do with having been to see live comedy since I was six years old yeah. than it is to do with what I do for a living. Mm-hmm. It's part of your life. Because it's actually... Your- yeah, when I'm on stage, I'm not thinking to myself, well, what this needs is a juxtaposition, right? You know? yeah. I, I'm, I'm going, oh, I need to do some comparative subversion yeah. at this point. I'm just telling my jokes. I'm just being funny. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, oh, I need to do the surreal inquisition on this bit. Yes. Um, yeah, that'll exactly. Work. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I need a few more consonants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and actually, sometimes my daughter, because my daughter has been around when I've been teaching, mm. sometimes she'll read something and she'll say, well, hang on a minute. It's because you haven't put enough consonants in that sentence or mm. something like that. She'll, she'll know how to fix it. When did you do your first gig then uh, in comedy? I can't remember the date, either oh. that or I've willfully forgotten it. Yeah. But I was still at college. Where'd you go to college? Because, well, like I say, I went to drama school. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what to do with me, mainly because I had short hair. Well, okay. That seemed to really baffle oh. them. <laughs> and they used to give me all the comedy parts, which I just couldn't do. Mm. And then they would criticise me for not being able to do them. Yeah. So oh. I started doing comedy workshops. But I found also at the time, it coincided also with me suddenly having one night stands and getting dumped because before college I'd had two long-term relationships. Mm. So I think the combination of suddenly being in a place where all the teachers hated me and I couldn't get laid Mm. and also at the time being told I had to be funny sort of collided because I had something to write about. So I started writing about how fucked up I was and about my fucked up relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Because I joined this improv group to try and learn how to be funny. They started doing gigs at the King's Head. Great. So, Great and that was the thing that, uh, yeah, the King's Head in those days, on Tuesdays, they had an, every other Tuesday, they had an Irish night. Yeah. And the other Tuesday was a Jewish night. Mm. And because I'm half Irish, half Jewish, my first gig was oh. at the Irish night and my second <laughs> gig was at the Jewish night the next week. Oh, brilliant. Do you have a... I know. Did you do, was, was Jewish Comedian of the Year available at that time or was it not a thing? No, it wasn't. I've oh. never done it because I don't feel like oh. I'm Jewish enough. Damn really. it. Damn it. I, yeah, I am Jewish, yeah. but I feel weird about... Because I always know with my name as well, it always takes a bit of explanation. Yeah. So I would feel weird about walking onto that stage. Yeah, but... But, you know, I don't like competitions. Once you get to a certain stage mm. where, where you're not expected to do competitions anymore, it's it's such a blessing because yeah. the competition circuit when you're new is so awful. You know, it's such a horrible experience that I wouldn't put myself up for it <laughs> voluntarily again. So your your first jokes were about despair uh, and the sadness of... Relationships, yeah. you know, like a lot of people's first jokes because yeah. I think... Well, maybe not. I think these days a lot of people are political more. It's, what, it's what's getting to you, the thing that's keeping yeah, you up at night. That's right. So that was your first gig. Can you tell me about your 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 worst gig, Meryl? The worst gig you've ever had? That springs to mind yeah. was Belfast Empire. Right. Where... <laughs> I think you get asked about these a lot. So I was wondering if there was one since, but I don't think there is actually. So... Um, the booker, for some reason, had got it into his head that I was very busy. So he'd arranged my flight for just before the gig and nice. arranged my leaving flight for six o'clock the next morning. So I literally, like, I have no idea what Belfast looks like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I arrived, went to the gig, got there just as it was starting, and the MC wasn't very chatty. Yeah. And also we had to sit backstage, which I hate doing, so we yeah. couldn't see the audience at all. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, and the MC had a really strong accent, and I'd been given one bit of advice, which was 
don't refer to this as Britain, but don't refer to this as not Britain. So I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't hear what the MC was saying yeah. while I was backstage. But I thought to myself, well, do you know what? I'm going to recognize my name. because <laughs> That's all I really need to hear. Yeah. But he had forgotten my name. Oh, no. So he said something and then paused and nothing happened. And then he said this thing again and then paused, <laughs> at which point the guy who ran the gig threw me onto the stage. Oh. So I was already nervous. I was already mm. tired. I had no idea I was arriving on the stage. Yeah. So I stumbled onto the stage and then very squeakily kind of went, um, hello? Like that. So I sounded <laughs> twier and posher than I've ever done before. Yeah. And then, so somebody shouted, fuck off, like immediately. Oh. And I started trying to tell my jokes, but mm. I couldn't see anything. It's one of those places where the lights are incredibly bright. Yeah. I couldn't see anything. My head was all over the place and, and I was stumbling. I was still quite new. I was still only doing 10 minutes and they were booing. And oh. then after a while, I can't even remember how it ended. All I can remember is the booing. I can't remember anything other than the booing because I can't even oh. remember walking off stage, but I must have done. And then afterwards, I had to get back to the hotel as soon as possible because I had to get up at 4 a.m. Yeah. So I went into a chip shop and the crowd from the, oh, from no. the gig were in the chip shop oh, and they no. booed me out of the oh, chip shop. Oh, no. <laughs> Come on. I'm one of you now. I'm one of you. I, I just want chips. Come on, guys. You know, like, oh. In the end, I had to put my scarf over my face. Yeah. So I could go into a chip shop and go, fashion chaps, please. <laughs> Just so I could have something to eat oh. before I went to bed to get up at 4am. Oh, no. This completely wasted journey. Oh, oh, dear. So how many shows have you done then, Meryl? Have you like the fringe shows or like I... full shows? Oh, fringe shows. Either I one. have been very scant with the solo shows. Mm. Um, I've just done the two. I think one of the things was I used to go to Edinburgh before I performed at Edinburgh. Mm. And therefore, I put it very high up on a pedestal, mm. which the reason I'm pausing is that I now think it's gone too much the other way. Like too many times I've gone to Edinburgh and sat down for an hour in front of somebody who really wasn't ready. Who was like, oh, this is just a work in progress. I'm going, well, it didn't say that in your press. Mm. And I could be somewhere else now. <laughs> yeah. So I think there has to be something in between. But I put it so high on a pedestal, I was always terrified of going. And also, when I started, people always used to say to me, you can't do Edinburgh with relationship jokes. Because mm. I wrote a lot about relationships and um, a lot about sex, which I still write a lot about. And I've gone through phases of going, oh, my God, I wish I didn't write about sex. And mm. then realising it's it's just it's what I'm good at. Mm. You know, I'm good at being very frank. Yeah. I mean, we had... Um, the most recent thing that's come up, because I'm not writing that much in lockdown, but the most recent thing that's cropped up is that I might I might have the early stages of clitoral cancer. Oh. They're keeping monitored. And it's like oh. <laughs> like like of all the things, oh. it is so on brand me. If I die of clitoral cancer, <laughs> it would be the most on brand way I could die. And so it's become really inspiring of me trying to write about how embarrassing yeah. that would be. God, yeah. But also how on brand. And so yeah. as much as I don't want to write about this, mm. I mean, one of my, I remember my management when I first went up to Edinburgh said to me, the thing is, Meryl, you've, you've had a very accident prone vagina. And I have. <laughs> oh, like there's a whole bit in Vanilla, my current solo show, about how, how I permanently damaged it when I was 17. Right. Which is one of the reasons I might have this, this, pre, this precancerous yeah. thing. Oh. So, yeah, they always used to say to me, mm. you can't go up to do relationship jokes, you can't go up and do sex jokes. And I was right. like, well, that's who I am. Yeah. I'm just hacky relationship. And then Sarah Millican, 
when she was new. And so she was relative. She was too new for anybody who said to her. Nobody had said to her, you can't go to Edinburgh and do relationship mm. jokes. So she went to Edinburgh and did an hour of relationship and sex jokes because she yeah. just got divorced. And I was like, what? Yeah. Um, so then that really sort of spurred me on to go, well, hang on a minute. And actually, when I did go up for my first hour, I wrote an hour about my relationship with my mum. I know, very original. But half of the show was about her escaping from the Holocaust wow. because I kind of felt like I didn't want to... I'd tell anecdotes about her and people go, God, your mum sounds nuts. Mm. And then I always felt bad for her. So I wanted to contextualise why my mum was nuts. You know, like why yeah. my mum wouldn't let me out of the house and stuff like that. So that was the first show I did. And then the next year I got pregnant. And then I also, I've never got my head around losing thousands of pounds every year being normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And saying to my husband, like I say to people, well, my husband doesn't want me to go away for a month. They go, oh, isn't he supportive? And you'd go, he's got his own life. I have two children. Mm. And to say to somebody, I'm going away for a month during the school holidays. So you have to look after both kids. You have mm. to give up work for a month. I'm going to lose about £5,000. Yeah. And when I come back, I might have nothing to show for it other than a partial nervous breakdown. <laughs> oh, and, and so going back up <laughs> has just been such a huge mountain to climb. Yeah. And then I finally, this year, I mean, that's the thing. I, I finally was going up in 2020. Yeah. And they cancelled Edinburgh. So it's like, oh, well. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's yeah. Like, yeah, great. But I've got, you know, and the thing is, the reason I was going up this year was that I didn't have an agent. Mm. And, I, you know, I was thinking this seems to be the whole. It seems to be the fact that I'm not in Edinburgh because the agent who did want me, mm. she then went to Edinburgh and took on some people. Right. So that was the whole reason I was going. And what I've done in lockdown, I've done vanilla online, live via Zoom. Yeah. I've done it about five or six times. Great. I've now got an agent. Brilliant. Um, I've had Next Up see it. They're interested in film filming it when we're out of lockdown. Yeah. So I have actually got what I wanted to achieve from writing a new solo show and performing it. Excellent. That's great. And actually, if, if this is what we needed to dismantle Edinburgh and actually sit back and look at it and go, yeah. is it a humane business system to make people go somewhere for a month yeah. and lose thousands of pounds and live in flats with each other, like the rate of sexual assault up there, the really? rate of Whoa. people falling down drunk and having horrible accidents mm. up there, the amount of money people lose. Yeah. It's it's just, it's not humane. No. And none of the other festivals operate. Like all of the other festivals, you go up for three, four days, maybe a week. Mm. And so if this is what it takes for us to sit back and go, do you know what? Does Edinburgh actually work? Is it is it a good system or yeah. do we really need it? I think it, it would be really good to have this time to say, you know, this is really difficult for some people. Yeah, for sure. I think so. I mean, price of uh, accommodation, everything is crazy. And we're like, every, like I went up, I've been up four times and it's like, ugh, you know, I just can't do it anymore. You know, it's like, like a lot of people didn't even get their money back. So yeah. we were very lucky. We had mm. hired a flat yeah. and the woman gave us our money back. But a lot of people had signed contracts which said, you won't get it back. Wow. It's not humane. And I often wonder, like, I was going to say maybe maybe because you're Irish you'll relate, but that's being mm. very presumptuous. Mm. Um, it was a long time that a lot of black acts didn't go up to mm. Edinburgh. Yeah. And I grown up on a South London council estate and my mum, mm. both of my parents were immigrants. My dad was born here, but he's, you know, very had an yeah. immigrant outlook on life. And I certainly have not been raised in a situation where you throw away £5,000 for a month of your life on the off chance. Yeah. And I think, and this is not to stereotype black people, but a lot of 
a lot of the black people I know come from families who have a very similar outlook on life. Mm. You mm. know, we you work to get money. You mm-hmm. don't pay money to work. Yeah, and right. and I think it's one thing that's really stopped a lot of black and minority ex- ethnic acts going up. It's mm. stopped a lot of working class acts going up. You know, there's been this whole program run by Sean Davis to get more and more working class acts to go up, which they have to crowdfund. It's a really odd way of running a business. Yeah. I don't think any, if you spoke to a baker and they said, oh, we're going to this trade fair and we're going to lose £5,000, <laughs> we're going to do it every year. Yeah. It would be insanity. Nobody else does this. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. I think it's just like a, a machine that, it, you know, everyone, everyone perpetuates that a culture of like of, of madness it's like a it's like a um a pyramid scheme and like the comedians hmm. are, are the last people to join it well i kind of found out what it was when i was so like i said i've been trying to get more tv writing work hmm. and one of the reasons that it happens is that so if you say to somebody in a tv company can you come and see me at this gig on hmm. friday night uh it's in the west end so it's just by your office they go well i finish work at five and you go, yeah, yeah, but it's only, it's at seven o'clock. Yeah, but I need to get home. They very rarely will go to any gigs in the evening, but they can take a week or two weeks from the office to go to Edinburgh because it's seen as part of work. Yeah. So most TV execs, even if you are doing a gig next to their office, they are more likely to see you in the one week that they are in Edinburgh than the whole rest of the year that they're in London. Okay. So that's, mm. that's the main reason that it persists, I think. So, yeah, it's um, that off chance. It's a lottery ticket, really. It's a very expensive lottery ticket. You said your mum wrote a book on music hall. Yes. She was just a comedy and theatre nerd then, yeah? Yeah. I don't know quite why. She worked at Lambeth Libraries, and Mm. I think they commissioned it, but I don't know why. I mean, some of her stories, so she used to go and hang around at the stage door of the Palladium, even if she couldn't afford to get in. But like when she was a child, we're Mm. talking about when she was 10 or 11 or something, so getting Danny Kaye's autograph when she was a kid. And also there was a theatre in Brixton called The Empress. So she told me that she would go to the theatre to see people all the time. And if she Mm. couldn't see them, she would just wait at the stage door. And she listened to a hell of a lot of radio. So I've got booklets, scrapbooks of all the photographs of the radio stars. So I've got wow. a very early Peter Sellers wow. autograph where Amazing. he, yeah, he was pretty much nobody at the time. So he's mm. got his home address on it and everything. Cool. And it's it's chubby young Peter Sellers from Raise a <laughs> Laugh. I don't know how that then linked into her being fascinated with Mari Lloyd and Dan Lino and George Roby mm. and whether it was just the locale because my mum came to Lambeth when she was five or six. Mm. And it's interesting that, if you ask me how I identify, I feel like a Lambethan more than anything. I really identify as somebody who is from Lambeth. Mm. And that comes from her. And I think that just knowing that so many huge people from the world of comedy lived around here, which um, I was told it was because the A23, mm. it's a direct straight road from Brighton to Leicester Square. Okay. So, and that was where most of the variety acts had their work. Yeah. So if you got a boarding house in Brixton, in fact, there's a, there's a book called Wise Children, which me and my daughter really love. And some of that is set in a boarding house in Brixton for showbiz types. So there were loads around here because it was easy then. You could get a tram into the West End or you could drive down to Brighton really quickly. Yeah. So that was why a lot of people like Dan Lino and George Roby lived around yeah. here. But also, um, of course, Charlie Chaplin and uh, Stan Laurel worked at Carnot's Capers in Camberwell. Yeah, I don't know. I can't, you know, she's not with me anymore, so I can't say why. 
There's a general atmosphere of comedy in yeah. the house all the time. It seems we died in the wool since you're a very, a very yeah. young, a very young age. That's amazing, and just kind of, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Was um, I saw Morecambe and Wise when I was seven. Saw them mm. live. I saw Victoria Wood live when I was thirteen. Yeah. So, wow. and th- and that was another thing my mum did. There was a club called the Theatre and Comedy Club. Ray Cooney, who wrote Farces, he actually hired an entire theatre and he wanted to have like a rep company. He wanted to have a group of actors who were in all of his comedies. You could join the club, so you would go and see previews and then he would sit with the audience and say, what did you think? And you could inform him as to what you thought of the new shows that he was writing. And so my mum was on the panel of that. So she would arrange big ball that had Victoria Wood entertaining. So I got to sell raffle tickets and I got to meet Sheila Stiefel and Tim Brooke Taylor. And for my mum, it was never a thing that we just went and watched. Mm. It was always a thing that we also analysed and we met the people and we thought about them and we talked about them. So it always had that extra edge to it. Did she see that you were potentially going to become a comedian or did she think you're going to become a comedian when you're old? Did she see that in you or did she see you gigging as no. well? No, well, no. She saw me gig for a little bit. I'd yeah. literally just started just yeah. before she died. It was a surprise to both of us. I wanted to be an actress and I uh-huh. wanted to be a classical actress. I can't remember it being a discussion when I went into doing stand-up. Yeah. It surprised me. I think it must have surprised her as well surrounded by it so much you think that now it just feels that it was uh, it just ha- had to happen you know what I mean from the stories you're telling you yeah. it was just uh, there's no it other way it never felt like a viable career mm. I mean a lot of the people would see uh, around the time when she died we were going to see Stuart Lee quite a lot so a lot of the people who we used to go and watch were very Oxbridge mm. maybe different now but in my early 20s going to a smoky pub was not something I did either mm. so it didn't seem Accessible as an actual yeah. career. I know what you mean. Exactly the same. In Ireland, I didn't see it. Like I didn't know how to get into it. I was like, Phew. the only time I kind of had any contact with it when I came to the UK to do a course and, you know, like a degree in that and then just went back again. And, oh, you can do that here. And by that time, it was starting to get easier to kind of find gigs and stuff. But yeah, there was no route at all yeah. when I was younger. No. And it felt a bit grubby. Mm. So I didn't like going to pubs. This is something actually you don't realise before you become a comedian. Mm. So you go, well, I don't like going to pubs. And at the time, there was smoking as well. So mm. I don't like going to places where there are drunk people and smoky people and what you don't realize when you're not a comedian is that the comedians don't actually have that experience you're in a back room Mm. a lot of comedians do drink and especially then there were quite a few alcoholics but actually you're sober because you're entertaining Mm. so I quite like now like well I say now before lockdown being in the West End and walking through crowds of very drunk women who are have, wearing very high heels, mm. who are spending loads of money, and I'm trotting through them in my trainers. Because, yeah, we are in the clubs and the pubs, but we're having the opposite experience to the public. It's not comparable at all. When you start, is there a sort of like a, a job uh, or a an, an animal or a, a, a maybe a... a a being it could be anything it's a pretty broad question you know that like a like a type of i've had people say that they feel that when they go on stage they're like a an it technician they turn the <laughs>, laughs on and off again or they're, they're like a pcso is everyone okay is everyone is everyone good okay right we're gonna continue God. on we're gonna make it safe it's gonna be fun uh you know but controlled um other things like that would you have anything in mind that you protect maybe at the beginning might not have to feel like it now but there was something you got i feel like this when i'm on stage you know no no i don't know i've never thought of it that way mm. the only thing that's coming to mind that you're saying is is a roller coaster because it does feel more like a toboggan because it does feel that when i push myself once i'm on the stage yeah. that's it i'm go 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 i never thought about it in terms of 
that before cool. being anything other than me. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. A tobogganist is amazing too. That isn't seriously uh, like a, like a luge uh, or a luge per- a person on luge or something like that. Yeah, or like yeah, and also not really having a concept of how. So I don't know if you get that. So I'll stand mm. off stage, getting mm. ready, knowing what the first few things are that I'm going to say. But then when I'm actually on there and it's all coming out and people are laughing. There is part of me going, how are you doing this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Especially when I'm emceeing and I don't always know what's going to come out of my mouth next. Totally, totally. Oh, it's beautiful. I love emceeing. It's so fun. It's just so yeah, free I Yeah, I miss emceeing more mm. than anything. The magic just kind of flows sometimes. It's like, where is this? Ah, oh, this is this is perfect. Like, that couldn't have landed any better, even though I didn't even try. It's, yeah. it's, it's great. And you're so proud of yourself <laughs> when it's emceeing. <laughs> totally. That was great fun. And I do, like the thing you said there about people feeling like a community police officer, mm. One of the other things, I mean, I've often said to people, I like it when I'm regarded as the gig mum. And some of my most fond memories of emceeing are like people coming up to me in the interval and going, I've lost my friends. Have you seen where my friends are? And for me to be standing on stage, I'm quite often really mean. Like I can be really nasty to people with a great big smile on my face. (laughs) And to know that they will still come up to me and go, I've lost my friends. Can you like they completely regard me as their friend and as the person to ask where the toilets are and and not intimidating at all. And and I love that side of emceeing. That's it. It's great. It's great. You're looking after everyone, making sure everyone's good, you know, and just protecting the night. And then, you know, making sure everyone just goes home with a smile on their face. It's great. So Meryl, like Vanilla, you're going to, is next up, you're going to be recording it when the lockdown finishes. You're recording from covid and you I didn't even know I'm recovering i only <laughs> found out i had it two days ago okay, I'm okay. very confused you're you're covid positive right <laughs> i still have yeah. a spin on it <laughs> covid positive baby and and like so have you got uh, what else have you got in the pipeline that's got coming up teaching another course oh great but the course is sold out but i sell gallery tickets so if anybody is is interested in giving me any kind of money yeah. so when it's on zoom I sell tickets to kind of just be in the Zoom room and watch me teaching the other people. Mm. So they're cheaper than the full course, but you still get a lot out of it. You just don't get me saying, (laughs) it's actually nicer because you don't get me telling you that everything's wrong. That's great. (laughs) You get me, you get me, get to watch me tearing other people to pieces. You get Meryl Light, Meryl Light. Yeah, he's just (laughs) Which people, a lot of the people in in the gallery have actually said they quite like the fact that they can hide. And and nobody can look at them, probably all naked. Uh, So, yes, I'm selling tickets for that because it's sold out. Frankie Instagrammed that I was doing a course and it sold out within four hours. Wow. So uh, that was really nice. Well, it's also nice as well because it means that most of the people on the course like him. Yeah. So I'm often very aware when I'm teaching that I might say, well, when Frankie wrote this, this, where Frankie wrote that, simply Mm. because I know him better than anybody else. Mm. And I'm always worried that people will get bored. But at least this lot are on board with that. And I have an agent now. Yes. And she's putting me up. Oh, yes, I'm meant to be on... um... I'm meant to be on the Jeremy Vine show soon, oh. uh, giving my opinion. So that'll be interesting, Great. trying to find the line between uh, jokes and opinion yeah. and all the horrific death threats I'll get afterwards. But there yeah. we go. We've got to work, haven't hey, we? Gotta this is work. true. Publicity is publicity, eh? <laughs> well, also, it's like the reason I'm on there is that I made a little video that went viral. And that was a weird thing as well, because it was the video I put the least amount of effort into. Yeah. It was just me shouting at some traffic. Uh, and it was actually quite embarrassing going viral shouting in traffic. People <laughs> say to me, could you not have written a script? And I go, I have written scripts. Nobody liked them. Uh, but Jeremy Vine loved it. And one thing about that was, so people were coming back to me saying, why are you shouting at traffic? They're just people going to work. Don't you understand people have to work? And yeah. I was saying to them, yes, this is me working. This is all I have left now. All mm. I have left 
is trying to make viral content. So the fact that mm. that has turned into a paid job Excellent. is kind of a really good way of me going, well, this is what I did. I put some viral, I put some content out. It went viral. Yeah. The person who retweeted it, I said to them, can I have a job? And yeah. he said, yes. And yeah. so that is all we've got at the moment. That's so if true. what I'm doing is spouting my opinions instead of telling jokes, well, thank you very much, Jeremy Vine, for, for, for letting me do that because otherwise I'd be sitting at home doing that's, nothing like a lot of my colleagues are, which is right. really upsetting. Have you have you launched onto TikTok with it as well now? No, I'm terrified of TikTok. Yeah. I'm, I get very addicted yeah. online. Mm. And my son, part of homeschool, read an article about how addictive TikTok is and about mm. what awful things there are on there. You know, there are people sharing domestic violence videos and oh. there's porn on there and, yeah. and violence on there. And so I'm taking part in a TikTok class soon and he's like, I won't let you go on it, <laughs> mummy. I will delete it from your phone, mummy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. yeah, it does. It is um, It is the ultimate in, in sort of like time time displacement. You're like, oh, just, I'll just look at TikTok. Oh, gone, half an hour is gone. That's half an hour of my life. I'm never going to get back. It's crazy. But at the moment, I'm completely addicted to the Love Island game, right. which has really surprised me. Oh, God. <laughs> but it's because I'm getting to have an affair with a cartoon <laughs> man. Right. And I, the only reason I started playing, I was up for a job writing on the game. And, yeah. and I said to them during the interview, I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me have an affair. I've been married for 21 years <laughs> and I'm now seeing a crane operator in Kent from oh. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> and it. I've got photos of him on, in my phone and everything. It's, it's hideous. It literally feels, I wait for my husband to fall asleep and I, I play oh. the Love Island game. So it really <laughs> genuinely feels like I'm having an affair, which is horrible. Wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I I don't think that counts. I really don't think that counts. It's like, you know, it's an animated I don't being. know. It's, have you seen her? with Scarlett Johansson. No. Great film. Really great film. Her. It's um, about like a, an AI which is it takes the place of uh, this guy's girlfriend who breaks up with him. Yeah. And brilliant. Really great film. Really great uh, idea premise for a film. Check it out. It's quite old though but um, it's very, very good. Philosophically though, if I was on Facebook Messenger and I was texting somebody who I knew off Facebook who I'd never met yeah. with the same sentences that I am <laughs> texting, that I'm typing into the Love Island game to this yeah. cartoon. Like, philosophically, is it that different? I think, I think, yeah, because that person, that's a real person that's speaking to you and, and relaying messages, True. you know, and this other thing. But unless, unless you find out like years down the line that it's not actually a program, there's somebody in China who's actually well, sending you these messages via this They're not in China, they're in driver. London. I mean, oh. yeah. That's you one of the sure? things that worried me about. If, well, when I when I was up for this job and I had to, I, I couldn't do the job because it was a nine to five, mm. which is just completely alien to me. But I said to my daughter, I said, "What if I start working for them yeah. and I meet the person who has programmed Gary? Yeah, and I fall in love with them." Yeah. And she said, "Yeah, but it might be a there's loads of women that work at this. It might be a woman, mm. and you're Ooh. straight." And I went, "Yeah, but Whoa. if the woman is Gary, mm. I might still fall in love with her." Yeah, exactly. That's even more confusing. That's a double bubble. <laughs> It's like, oh my God, I'm not ready for this. But also great material. Uh, Am I not ready for it or is it the future? Is, is this, this is true. You know, this is true. If, it might actually save my marriage if I get addicted to role-playing games because then I won't Facebook message somebody yeah. who's actually on the comedy circuit or yeah. something. Like it, it, it might be really good yeah. for me. Maybe you just like say, say to your husband, look, look, please wear this high-vis jacket just, just tonight. Just tonight. I'm oh, loving it. Do you know what? He knows, he knows about the high-vis thing. <laughs> the high-vis thing has been long-standing. Right. And even just making... This guy in the game makes me cups of tea. Oh, yeah. And, mate, you've got to step up. 
Yeah. You've got to make me some cups of tea That's because right. I have so much in common with this cartoon crane driver. Yeah. He doesn't like avocado and I don't like avocado. Yeah. And I don't even know how the people who wrote the Love Island game know that. Right. Like, how do they know that him saying he doesn't like avocado right. would make me fall in love with him? Wow. That's very specific, isn't it? It's very specific. How Very specific. Wow. God. And the uh, only olives he likes are the big nocciolara ones. Like, how do they know this? <sighs> how do they know that these two things would make me fall in love with a cartoon crane driver? Okay, I think you should delete this from your phone. I think it's listening to all the <laughs> things you're doing. Um, it sounds like it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, just, you, you, it's like it. It's a. It's become a symbiote. It's actually part of your life now. You can't. Yeah. You're. You're. Oh my god. That. That's. Uh, that's insidious. I. I you. Uh, that's terrifying as well. It, how it knows. It's the AI is. They'll be evolved. able to do that though, won't mm. they? You'll be able to get soon. You'll be able to get an AI partner in your phone yeah. who will farm all your data. And yes. so they'll say something like, um, I could really do with a Chinese. And yeah. I'll go, oh, I've just had a Chinese takeaway. Oh, wow. And you didn't share it with me. Did, yeah. what did you? And they oh. will know every email you've sent. <laughs> they'll, 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 you know, I'll switch it on and they'll say, how did the podcast with Winter go? Yeah. Great, thanks, hun. Thanks for yeah. keeping my Chinese warm for me. And they'll know all this because they're in your phone. Yeah, but also imagine if the AI got pissed off because of the fact that you um, you had a Chinese without them and then just turned your phone off and didn't speak, yeah. didn't let you use it for fucking three days. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that'd be, oh God, that's terrible. That'd be, that'd be, so you got to keep your phone happy. It's like, pay attention to me. Oh, great. Now I've, that, that's like just- Like a Tamagotchi. Yeah, like that's it. And like, it just, all your, everything just gets shut down if you don't pay attention to it. That's what's going to be like now. This is getting, this That'd is be getting good, terrible. Though. Yeah. Because after would... I went viral, because I went viral with something where I was just shouting at traffic about yeah. asking them why mm. they weren't in lockdown. I was having politicians share it as well as comics. Mm. And I could tell actually from my responses whether a politician had just shared it or whether a comic because yeah. if a comic had shared it, I'd get, oh, this is funny. Yeah. And if a politician had shared it, I'd get, people like you make me sick. <laughs> so <laughs> I was getting a lot of blowback. Yeah. And in the end, my husband actually had to take my phone off me and hide it yeah. because Addicted. I was spending all day worrying about what the next thing was that somebody was going to say to me. So I, in the end, I had to phone Frankie and say like, do do I switch it off? Because if I switch it off and I get a death threat, do I mm. need to know that I've got a death threat? And like, do I need to say thank you to the people that do like it? Do I need to answer people back in a cocky way, or do I just ignore it? And yeah. Because I was just like, I don't know what to do about this situation. That little uh, drip feed of endorphins. Like, I just need, just need another hit. Did someone like it? Okay, they didn't like it. Oh, and either way, it's like a, a like a roller coaster up and down, isn't it? Oh, that was good, yeah. bad. Oh, oh, there it is. Oh, good. That's that's a positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement. Oh, only the negative ones that I was getting a bit obsessed with yeah. and I think because I wasn't prepared for it as well I forgot it wasn't till like two days later that I went oh I was meant to be funny when I replied to that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because the first thing and especially since such a lot of people were saying do you not understand that people have to go to work I'm so many I'm sick of people like you sitting at home on full furlough not understanding people that have to work and mm. me just wanting to say to them my entire industry has been pulped yeah. I am sitting at home on nothing at the moment at the time I hadn't had any money for a month and a half do you not understand why I am making stupid content yeah exactly Trying to, right. trying to survive. Mm. So, Meryl, you got some stuff going on. You got plenty of stuff happening. So, you got like, um, what's, what's, the, what's this I, guy name? What's this guy's name from Kent? <laughs> I'm not, I've already said uh, it. I didn't tell anybody. Right, that's fine. Sorry. Okay, well, well look, this guy, you've got this guy. One of the worst things is, right, is that. So I Googled his name to try and get some pictures of him. Yeah. And of course, what you forget, 
like millions of people play this game. So he has had relationships with millions of oh, other people. Yeah. And there were all these threads on like how to get Gary to like you, what <laughs> things to check, to how to get Gary to have sex with you. Like, and one of them said like uh, that Gary was going to have an affair. And I was oh, so upset. And no. I was like, right, I'm not going to read these. Yeah. But what was good was that when he did have an affair, I was like, okay, I knew this was happening. It's just because he's a robot. It's, <laughs> he doesn't mean it. It's not sincere. Yeah, that's it. It's just a thing. It's just a, it's a fling. It's just a fling. It's fine. He'll come back to me. It feels more serious. It oh. just feels so serious. He likes industrial landscapes and I do as well. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right, Meryl, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you for the last hour or so. <laughs> I really has. It's been great. And um, I know I'm keeping you from Gary, um, but like, I, <laughs> no, it is great. Keep it. I'm <laughs> trying to keep, no, I'm trying to keep it to like 20 minutes a day now, it's brilliant. Gary. It's brilliant. And uh, like, I really hope that, uh, well, I mean, I hope the COVID positive stays positive, uh, but like in, in a, in a, yeah. in an emotional sense and um, that next up, I can't wait to see that vanilla when it comes up on next up. And oh, uh, I've not said it out loud until now. So now mm. I'm really worried that I jinxed it no this be fine. year i mean we've moved the recording date three times already so how much more can you jinx things anyway no you'd be fine you'd be fine i'm sure yeah so like uh, i'll say this where can we find you then meryl you got your new course uh and you're doing you're doing a stand-up course twitter is the best place to find me great what is with it my stupidly spelled name so right. it's m-e-r-y-l-o-r-o-u-r-k-e brilliant so I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn because yeah. I live in the 90s. Uh, actually, no, that's not silly because we didn't have the internet in the 90s. But L- LinkedIn is so old fashioned. It's almost like a 90s website. Yeah. Uh, but I'm scared of Instagram and TikTok. So they're right. not there yet. Fair. What's the name of that uh, that app that you're, you're playing Love on? Island. Love, Love Island, Island game. Right. I don't think you can find me on there. <laughs> there's, no, there's no social aspect to it. Which is good. Unless you good. are the person who created Gary. Unless you are Gary. Unless, unless you creator. are Gary and, and you drive a crane oh. in Kent and oh. you like big olives and don't like avocado, then call me. Brilliant. Well, no, don't because I'm married. But, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, we, we all got COVID. One of us might die soon. That's true. So... Yeah, keep you know, keep in touch. Keep, keep my options open until, <laughs> until we've all got the all clear. That's right. Um, that's, um, I'm uh, but... beginning to wonder if they could arrange for a drawing of Gary to be at my funeral oh. if I die of COVID. Do you know what? I don't know if you're into gaming or anything. So my son is really into gaming and gaming memes and gaming videos. And there's, um, have you seen, I'm not sure what country it's from. It's an African country where these guys are dancing underneath the coffin. Right. Yes. So my son is obsessed with that. He actually, his birthday, he found a six hour loop of that. So we listened to funeral music all day on his. So now that we've got COVID, like, because you have no idea how ill you're going to be. So mm. I did say to both of the kids, like I did say to them, no, if I die, this, this, this and this in a mm. very plain way. And he did say to me, if you die, <laughs> can we have the coffin dance at your funeral? Like, can I hire some dancers? Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, it's not really what I wanted. It's what he wants. But, you know, that yeah. would be so sweet. So I said, of course, darling. Oh. So, <laughs> it is a really odd feeling like that, though. Like with my relatives, I've been saying... Because you do hear stories about people who are absolutely fine one day and then go into a coma the next day. Right. So I do feel okay, yeah. but I've still said to my relatives, like, if I die, can you pop round because you're not vulnerable mm. and these other relatives are vulnerable? And it's, my mum had cancer a few yeah. times. And so I had around the house various lists of these are my bank accounts. Yeah. These are who you need to contact. Yeah. And I just think it's good every now and then to just touch base and say to people, 
okay, well, if the worst happens, what's going to happen? Yep. You know, are you going to yep. come round? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was a bit weird. Spent a day doing that. To organise your stuff. Weird and good. No, that's good. You yeah. need to be prepared, right? That's what I'm saying. I'll organise my shed, organise the garage. You know, so I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've said this about like uh, before, but like about hoarders and stuff, you know, like you, like, you go around to these people's houses and go, right, um, you know, in these, these programmes, you see, oh, you know, this yeah. is, this, there's like, a, they've got like, about f- like stacks of magazines. They have to have tunnels to go through their uh, their houses. Mm-hmm. And, and like, they've got like a room that's like just filled with shit, like literal shit. And you're going, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so not for the organisers person, right? But now I've started to get rid of stuff out of my place and I'm going okay right now I'm fully organised and my, my kids my kids are kind of going now what do you know what needs to go now you <laughs> <That's> <laughs> all. and so you kind of see that the, 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 all those those hoarders weren't hoarders at all they were just protecting themselves from being ejected from their house um, you know because like, they're built like a, like a sort of like a, a, a mummy's Fork. team a mummy's um, like pyramid you know like the little secret kind of booby traps and, and passageways that they can't be found and like you know that's what it is that's what I believe anyway but it's um, but yeah so but yeah you need to get ready I mean you know, think to yourself right I've got everything organised now do you know the last thing I need to get I did, I've organised my funeral. <laughs> That's all it is, yeah. isn't it? But hey, not oh, being morbid. We're going to have the, the, the African dancers. Apparently. That's great. Joe, you know on my on my on my funeral, Joe, I want I want uh, burning alive because I'm going to get cremated. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I reminded, well, I reminded the kids that I'm because we've got my parents are in a plant pot on the balcony. Oh That's yeah, right. You cremate me, you stick me in the plant plant great. pot. Great, nice oh, and easy. Together, together again. <laughs> yeah. Well, Meryl, thank you so much for spending an hour and a bit with me on the show. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I wish you all the best, and hopefully that. Uh, fourth organisation of the date for the next up show will come and transpire and you will be good oh, like so, I say I wish I hadn't said it because now I'm like oh it's jinx it's being jinxed but yeah fun. yeah yeah we shall see just just being asked is nice like yeah. at this stage right. well I know I, I do need money but I've stopped doing the maths but mm. at this stage just people saying yes is so lovely you know yeah of course of course okay well pleasure but thank you so much for coming thank on the you, show And that was episode 86 with the very funny comedian Meryl O'Rourke. She's got gigs come up around the country in Leeds, Worcester and in, I think, Manchester. Go and find her on Twitter at Meryl O'Rourke. That's at M-E-R-Y-L-O-R-O-U-R-K-E. At Meryl O'Rourke. She's also got courses which sell out within minutes. So go and check her Twitter out. Then you know when the next course is coming up. So you can get on it as soon as it pops up. She's also filming her stand-up special, Vanilla, in September. So again, go to her Twitter and go and join her and support her on there. She's an excellent comedian and a lovely person to boot. So please go and support her. Excellent comedian. You can support this podcast on Twitter. We're there, at Winter Dominus. I'm on Instagram, at Winter Dominus. You can go and find our Facebook page, which is The Comedy Defect Facebook page, or you could join the actual Facebook group, which is The Comedy Defect Facebook group as well. If you like this podcast enough and you feel like you want to donate, you could go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and donate as little or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And if you can't donate, that's all right. I know money's tight for everyone. Don't worry about it. I'm still going to make them. You could share your favorite episode or just tell your friends about the show because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. And that's it for now for this month's Comedy Defect Podcast. That was Meryl O'Rourke. I say go find her on Twitter. She's got a show coming up. Go and support her. Brilliant comedian. And next month, we've got 
another brilliant comedian a guy I gigged with when I first started years ago I just wanted to talk to him see how he's getting on his name is Michael Mee he's gigged all over the world he supports some fantastic names on his comedy journey it is Michael Mee that is for episode 87 until the end of June let's hope the weather gets better and I will hopefully get better by the end of, uh, of June I'm sure it will I just take a lot of Lemsip or whatever drugs I can find and hopefully I will pull through I'm sure it will but it's a coincidence that Meryl tested positive and I got this cold just when I, as I was editing her episode. But hey, weird, huh? Maybe synergy. Until next month, take it easy. Hope the weather improves and get your barbecue out. Take care.